This is Guns and Butter. States created the Mujahideen. It then rebranded them as Al Qaeda, uh, and then it rebranded them again as ISIL or ISIS or Daesh or whatever you want to call it. But these people were being recruited by the American government. As far as the Mujahideen went, there were 52 recruiting offices in the United States, uh, including Washington, D.C. But nobody can tell me any more about it. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Mark Crispin Miller. Lionel, J. Michael Springman, and Wayne Madsen. Today's show, 9-11 and the Transporter Jihad. On September 10th and 11th, 2016, hundreds of attorneys, researchers, and activists gathered at the historic Great Hall of Cooper Union in New York City to expose the truth and explore obtaining justice for the crimes of September 11th that continue to serve as the pretext for the global war on terror. The Justice and Focus 9-11 conference was hosted by New York University Professor of Media, Culture, and Communication, Mark Crispin Miller. Today we will hear presentations by trial lawyer and author Lionel, former Foreign Services Officer and whistleblower J. Michael Springman, and investigative journalist and syndicated columnist Wayne Madsen. There are heroes among us. Um, we're now very lucky to be joined as a special guest speaker by Lionel. You may well know him and his work as a trial lawyer, an Emmy Award-winning, nationally syndicated American radio and TV personality, a legal analyst, essayist, lecturer, actor, author, etc. He's um, publicly posed very tough questions about the 9-11 attacks, which is unusual for a public figure in the media. So please join me in welcoming Lionel. Thank you. So did you tell your friends where you were going today? Did you tell them? They say, oh, there's that Larry. He's going to that 9-11 thing. You know how Larry is, tinfoil hat guy. By the way, we haven't worn tin in years. It's aluminum foil. Just want to clarify that for you. Let me tell you what happened to me, and we all have a story. What it was that got your attention. In my lifetime, in my generation, I went through, either as a child or old enough to understand, from the Vietnam War to a five-year period of assassinations from JFK to RFK to Martin Luther King, to Malcolm X, to Medgar Evers, then there's Watergate, then there's Vietnam. So I have believed absolutely nothing that was ever provided to me as remotely representing the facts by the government or the mainstream sheeple, the, uh, uh, the bumper sticker, echo chamber, cookie cutter, corporate bought and sold media. Sock puppet. I don't believe anything. Nothing. Let me repeat this. Nothing. And I'm in the media. So I really am an expert witness. Let me tell you what happened to me. This was my epiphany. 
I speak for myself. I don't represent any group. I'm not a truther, a falser, a vaxxer, a birther, a deather, none of that. I'm me. That's it. Let me tell you my epiphany moment. Sadly, I was here that day, that beautiful Tuesday. It was gorgeous. A sky so blue, pre-geoengineering and nanoparticulates in the air. Don't get me started on that, too. That's another one. The only thing you can point to with somebody next to you and say, what's that? Oh, there you go again with the conspiracy theories. No, no, what is that? There you go. Amazing. So I was there and went through the horror, the surreal horror that everybody did. I was bombarded by information, bombarded by, by you name it. I couldn't keep track of what was being said, what was being hit, who was saying what. I didn't think cover-up, conspiracy, nothing. Who could? Who in this maelstrom, this, this, this horror, this symphony of, of death and the smell, it reminded you every day, that smell. It was like when a... Uh, an engine burns out in an old vacuum cleaner or something. It hung everywhere. It was horrible. I thought nothing. I thought, this is the way it was. I wasn't even questioning anything. And then one day I was on the radio, and somebody mentioned to me this thing called Shanksville, Flight 93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew. I thought I did. I don't know. I'm, really, I'm, I'm still shocked. I'm not a conspiracist or any of that stuff. I'm a lawyer. I'm a trial lawyer. I was a prosecutor. I like this thing called evidence. Call me wacky. <laughs> so I looked one day as somebody was calling in about Flight 93. Let's roll. Beamer, the whole bit. I can recite the story like everybody else could. I didn't doubt it. I was still trying to sift through so many stories. North Tower, South Tower, Building 7, which I didn't even know about then. The greatest mystery of them all, Flight 93 Shanksville in the Pentagon. That was that. Then there were the issues involving health and first responders and the government and, and drills. And I mean, who, who could sift through this? So there I was. I looked at my Google images, and I'm looking for this plane crash. Stupid me, they said Flight 93, Shanksville, a plane crash. And I'm looking at Google images. Because sometimes I will kind of cut it. Do you ever try to find somebody's face? Like, what was that guy's name? Images. Oh, yeah, him. And then you go to the web. Oh, it was Larry. So I'm looking for this thing. And I'm looking. And on the air, I said... You ready for this? Brilliant. You know what I asked? Where's the plane? <laughs> Thinking nothing. Stupid me. Where's the plane? Please, no Hervé Villachez jokes, but you know, the plane, right? So I'm no expert in aeronautical crashes. 
I'm not a, a forensic pathologist. I can tell when people are dead. I'm not an OBGYN. I can tell when people are pregnant. And I can tell a plane crash. Again, call me wacky. I'm a savant. I'm gifted. You know, wheels, wings, stabilizers, people, luggage, glass, wire, smoke, gas, fill in the blank. And I ask the question, where's the plane? Phone call. Line one, what are you getting at? What am I getting at? Oh, I don't know. I'm getting at, where's the plane? Are you a conspiracy theorist? I said, I've got a question for you. What the hell are you talking about? Am I looking in the right place? That's all I want to know. Then I'm reading. <clears throat> Stupid me. And I'm reading in, you know, not, not, you know, Skippy's blog, some kid in his parents' basement, you know, with Cheeto dust and a, no, I'm reading, you know. And they bring up New Baltimore and Indian Lake. And eight miles away, there's a debris field. I said, hey, there's a debris field eight miles from there. Do you know what somebody said? Google this. Well, it was windy that day. <clears throat> Six-ton titanium engines. That's when I realized, oh, my God. It wasn't, oh my God, that it was the horror. But I understood that I am an alien. <laughs> and I live in this parallel universe that requires proof. And then a friend of mine called up and he said, you know, you might want to look here, 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 and here, and here. And it started. And then... I, 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 I'm in this, I'm thinking, what's going on here? Now, let me just cut to the chase here because I don't want to, please. Somebody give me a time cue. I'm an old stand-up comic. Give me a flash or something. I'm, I'm, I don't want to go over. All right. But when, when you're a prosecutor and you walk in, there's a homicide. There's four kinds of death. Think of this acronym, NASH. Natural, accidental, suicide, homicide. That's it. So if we walk in, hypothetically, and there's an old lady, bless her heart, handcuffed behind her back with 12 shots in the head, and somebody asks you, is that natural, accidental, suicide, or homicide? You could say, well, I don't think that's natural. I don't think that's accidental. Suicide, Houdini, may be a contortionist, perhaps, but no. No, I'm going to put my money on homicide. That's over here. That's, there's something wrong here. Question then comes to, who did it? I don't know who did it. Why would they want to kill this woman? She was a beautiful person, a grandmother. I don't know why. So that's what I want the world to know. Please separate the incredible evidence that Richard Gage has done. And by the way, when C-SPAN finally finally just grew a pair and had to put you on. 
I thought maybe, maybe there is a God. And maybe she's fair. I don't know. But don't confuse something that indicates that the official story is wrong with who is involved in it. Because we don't know. We don't know these things. You can't tell. Now, I know people who have never in their lives ever been involved in anything involving critical thinking. This is their first rodeo. And you hear this all the time. Is this cognitive dissonance? Is this a smoking gun? Is this an inside job? Hey, Sparky, take it easy. You're reading the bumper stickers too much. If I hear cognitive dissonance one more time, I'm going to take a life. I'm going to stab somebody in the heart with a pencil. Stop, cut, stop the cognitive dissonance. It's like people say, it's harp, it's harp, it's harp. Stop with the harp. What do you read this stuff from? It's an inside job. It's, it's either the Mossad, it's Cheney with the project. We don't know this. If somebody can tell me where to go for that, you let me go because I've been looking for this. But that's not what this is about. Here's the thing. Gore Vidal said three things about conspiracy theories, which I'll never forget. Number one, he said one day it will be an article of faith that you do not believe in conspiracy theories. Number one. Number two, conspiracy theories are code word for the unspeakable truth. And finally, my favorite. He said, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy analyst. Now, by definition, the official story is that a number of people, 1920 hijackers, conspired, confederated, joined together to pull this off. That's a conspiracy. So yes, this is the conspiracy theory by their very words. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in simply this. This is, I believe, a great, great country, capable of being even greater. And John Pelger said, and others, don't believe anything until it's officially denied. <laughs> and you have the right, the absolute right, to ask anything you want, any time you want, for as long as you want, until you're satisfied. And it is absolutely, <laughs> fundamentally, not only your right, but your duty. And you're going to meet people, and I've met people before, who are the anti-conspiracy theorists. They get jollies out of mocking destroying anything that anybody suggests might be an alternative version to reality as expressed by the bought and sold sock puppet Ted Baxter mainstream media. They take relish in fighting you because they don't like you. And the main reason they don't like you is they don't know anything about what you're talking about. And this would involve them reading. So what I'm saying to you today, why I am all here to celebrate this, to encourage this, I wish this place were packed. I wish students and young people will be pulling here to say, this is what happens. We need our, old, our own Russell Commission, our own permanent committee to just ask questions. We're still trying to figure out the Civil War. I'm listening to lectures by the greatest historians now trying to decipher the Civil War. We don't even understand Vietnam. 
and I'm supposed to give you an answer as to everything that happened on 9-11? Not yet. Thank you for allowing me the chance to be here. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to you and all the independent scholars, independent historians, citizen journalists, and those people with an open mind and an open heart. Because this isn't their story, their history. It's our history and our story. And we can ask it for as long as we want or as much as we want. Thank you. That was, that was, that was really great. Um, yeah, conspiracy theory is something that, if true, you couldn't handle it, right? Isn't that what a conspiracy theory is? I have to tell a really quick story. I, I, I wrote a book about the theft of the 2004 election. It's called Fooled Again. Uh, it came out in 2005 and got reviewed nowhere and so on. It's attacked, uh, you know, attacked by the left, interestingly enough and ignored by the mainstream press. So I went all over the country, appearing on radio shows and so on, doing my best to spread the word about it, and I was uh, somewhere talking about it, coming up with the you know, uh, evidence that the election had been stolen because it's copious. And uh, caller number one, uh, extremely angry, extremely aggressive, and his response to what I'd said was, uh, Mark Crispin Miller is the author of a book claiming that 9-11 was an inside job. Okay, I, I had never written such a book, you know. I hadn't even thought about 9-11 yet because I was, my, my, you know, brain pan was filled with the election theft, so I couldn't really fit all that other stuff in yet. But that shows you that there is a script that is used by people who I think are hired, that are on the payroll, to discredit anyone who raises those forbidden questions. And, and that's what we're up against. You're listening to presentations by Lionel, J. Michael Springman, and Wayne Madsen from the Justice in Focus 9-11 conference hosted by Mark Crispin Miller. Today's show, 9-11 and the Transporter Jihad. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, um, I, I have a little bit of housekeeping of my own to uh, offer if you see something, say something, right? You guys see anything? Okay, uh, so what we're going to do is, after introducing the panel, then we'll have a Q&A afterwards, so I'll be back to uh, oversee that, and again, uh, your index cards are available for you to write down your questions, and we'll, we'll put those to the panelists. So, um, uh, J. Michael Springman is an attorney, a, f a former foreign services officer, and a whistleblower who served in the Commerce Department and a State Department diplomat with postings in Germany, India, and Saudi Arabia. In his book, Visas for Al-Qaeda, CIA Handouts That Rocked the World, he details how he was pressured to issue visas to mercenaries for insurgencies starting in the early 80s. Right now he practices law and was recognized in 2004 by the um, American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee as one of its pro bono attorneys of the year. Next to him is my old friend Wayne Madsen, a Washington DC based investigative journalist, um, 
Wayne Madsen Reports is an indispensable resource, which I strongly recommend. He has 20 years' experience in security issues. As a U.S. Naval officer, he managed one of the first computer security programs for the U.S. Navy. He subsequently worked for the National Security Agency. We're not going to hold that against him. Uh, the Naval Data Automation Command, Department of State, RCA Corporation, and Computer Sciences Corporation. He was a senior fellow for the Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC, uh, which is a privacy public advocacy organization. He's also a member of the Society of Professional Journalists, the Association for Intelligence Officers, and the National Press Club. Hi, I'm Mike Springman. Uh, I think you know who I am from that introduction. I've got to say that I'm really pleased and quite honored to be invited back again to talk to you folks. Um, and I frankly enjoy myself while I'm here. Um, I am someone who knows what he's talking about. As from the bio that uh, you've just been given, uh, I can walk on water and not get my shoelaces wet, I guess. Um, I also have two degrees in foreign affairs. And my last assignment at the Department of State was in the Bureau of Intelligence and Research. So I know what I'm talking about. And I will try to keep to my daughter's advice to avoid jargon, terms of art, and slang that's not generally known amongst the general populace. I, I tend to do that, and I, I hope I don't do it today. But uh, Wayne Madsen wrote a very nice review of my book. And in it, he says, the 28 pages is essentially what Mike Springman's book, Visas for Al-Qaeda, is all about. And he's right. And you're going to hear more about that. But let me talk about my experience and what I saw from uh, being in Saudi Arabia with the State Department and what I got out of my research for two years for my book. Uh, it's, uh, the website is www.michaelspringman2ends.com. And if you want to reach me, the email address is info at danapub, D-A-E-N-A-P-U-B dot com. Now, what the United States did in the 1970s and 1980s was create a terrorist organization. It recruited the Mujahideen for the war in Afghanistan against the former Soviet Union. Uh, these were some of the worst possible people that the United States government and its repressive and reprehensible allies, such as Saudi Arabia and Pakistan's inter-services intelligence group, could put together. Uh, Cheryl Bernard, the wife of Zabek Khalizad, the former American ambassador to Afghanistan, Iraq, and the United Nations, said that we couldn't get the Soviets out of Afghanistan unless we got the worst possible people we could find to do it. And that's why you have no moderates, no leftists, no progressives, no nothing except crazy men in Afghanistan. And what the United States did after Afghanistan was form these people into a cadre, a, an Arab-Afghan legion, if you will, uh, the people who were uh, recruited from all over the Arab world and elsewhere, uh, Indonesia and, and uh, the Philippines, for example, uh, to go and destabilize uh, governments the United States didn't like, such as Yugoslavia, a socialist government that did not cooperate with America. Uh, it destroyed uh, Iraq because Saddam Hussein was a secularist uh, who uh, didn't like religious fanatics in his government and didn't take direction from Washington. It did the same to Libya with Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, he, his country uh, had the highest standard of living by UN measurements in Africa. And he went by the by because he was trying to control terrorists and he would put them in jail or send them back to whatever country they came from. 
Uh, same thing is happening today in Syria. Uh, Bashar al-Assad is a secularist. Uh, he has a government of many confessions, Christian, uh, uh, Shi, Sunni, and um, uh, various other religions, and such as Druze. And uh, he isn't cooperating with Washington, so he has to be removed. Now, how did this start? Very simply. Uh, I was in at the beginning, in Jeddah, in uh, the late 1980s. And before I left Washington, the then American ambassador to Saudi Arabia uh, had me in to meet him, and I figured it was going to be a five-minute hello and goodbye session. And uh, after that, uh, you know, I would go my merry way and go back to area studies or something like this. Well, Cutler spent 45 minutes telling me about all the problems my predecessor, Greta Holtz, had created for the American embassy in Riyadh. And he kept saying, well, she wasn't giving visas to rich Saudi women servants, and rich Saudi women can't travel to the United States unless they have hairdressers and seamstresses and other factotums to help them do it. And I thought, this guy is telling me something, but I have absolutely no idea what he's telling me. Uh, but from what he's saying about my predecessor, she's going to make my career in the State Department. Well, after this was over, I talked to the economic officer from the Saudi desk, essentially the part of the State Department that follows affairs in Saudi Arabia and interprets what's going on in the country to the rest of the department. I said to him, what was that all about? And the guy said, I don't know. Walter Cutler is just a queer duck. Well, I got to Jeddah. And suddenly there was all this pressure to issue visas to people who had no ties either to the United States or to their own countries uh, that would compel them to return from the United States after a visit. And I said, no, you can't go to America. Uh, we had a guy, uh, for example, who was going to a trade show uh, organized by the U.S. Department of Commerce, and he couldn't name the trade show, and he had no idea what city it was located in uh, or where it was going to be held. And Paul Arbitrate, a few minutes later, the uh, clandestine service officer concealed in the commercial section called me up and said, I want a visa for this guy. And I said, no. And another hour after that, he called the chief of the section and got my decision reversed. And you can't do that. It's against the law and against State Department regulations. If someone wants to overrule a consular officer's decision, he has to have information that was not available to the consular officer when he made the denial. And he has to show it to the consular officer, and it has to be so persuasive that the guy can overrule himself. But no, it was done, taken out of my hands. It was given to uh, Justice Stevens, his given name, uh, to overrule me and, and give these guys visas. And this went on for a year and a half. Uh, it was people that uh, couldn't uh, have the slightest idea where they were going. I had one guy come in, and uh, he was going to um, the United States. And I said, well, which city? And he looks around the waiting room. And I, we had pictures on the wall of Detroit and San Francisco and New York. And uh, he said, oh, I'm going to Detroit. And I said, no, you're not. But uh, this went on. It got to the point where people would come to me with a stack of passports and say, you can issue the visas now, or I'll go to the Consul General, Jay Frares, and we'll have you overruled, and you can issue the visas then. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. I complained to the... 
head of the consular section, Justice Stevens. I complained to Stephanie Smith, the counselor for consular affairs in the capital, Riyadh, at the embassy. Uh, she advised me to go to Washington and complain to the um, Bureau of Consular Affairs, which I did, and nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody cared. And I said, this is really strange because this is clearly visa fraud of some kind or another, and I don't know whether somebody's being paid off or what. And uh, I had tried to get a handle on what was going on before I went out to Jeddah by writing my predecessor, Greta Holtz. I sent her three letters saying, what's it like? What did you wish you had known before you got to Jeddah? And so forth. And um, never got a reply. And she came up to Jeddah from her next assignment, Sana'a in Yemen, and she told me, well, I was just too overwhelmed and, and too pressured and too uncomfortable to, to give you a real answer, which lasted for all of 15 minutes. I said, she's hiding something. Well, Greta, who is such a problem child, is now American ambassador to Oman after being a deputy assistant secretary of state in Washington, D.C. So this was a really strange thing, and I was eventually tossed out of the State Department and I could never find out why. I said I wanted to find out under the Freedom of Information Act twice. The first time it went to a lawsuit and it was sealed as a threat to national security. The second time, Reggie Walton, the, uh, the judge in Washington, he was also on the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, uh, he simply shut the thing down saying you haven't exhausted all of your remedies, which I had in fact done. So what was all this about? Well, I ran into Joe Trento, a journalist, uh, while doing some research in an article I was trying to write, and Joe told me that well, basically what they were doing was recruiting for the Mujahideen. The CIA and the State Department were working with Osama bin Laden to get people from all over the Arab world, all over the Muslim world, and bring them to Washington for training and uh, debriefings and whatever, and then send them on to Afghanistan to kill Soviet soldiers, blow things up and shoot things down, hopefully with uh, Ivan inside. Well, that explained everything. And I said, my God. And as time went by, I kept writing articles, I kept speaking out, I was invited to various organizations to talk to them about what went on in Jeddah, and got nowhere. And after the second Freedom of Information Act request was shot down, I decided I'd write the book. And I drew on my experience, uh, two years worth of research that I conducted, plus interviews with uh, knowledgeable people, uh, to put this together and to say, well, the United States created the Mujahideen. It then rebranded them as Al-Qaeda. Uh, and then it rebranded them again as ISIL or ISIS or Daesh or whatever you want to call it. But these people were being recruited by the American government. As far as the Mujahideen went, there were 52 recruiting offices in the United States, uh, including Washington, D.C. But nobody can tell me any more about it. Uh, I go to officials in the government and say, hey, talk to me. I mean, it's been 25 years now. Aren't you a little bit uncomfortable about what's happened? Uh, did you see this at the beginning when you started doing this? Dead silence. I mean, I dealt with the people in Jeddah. Um, I wrote Greta Holtz, no response. I wrote uh, Henry Encher, who uh, works for the Central Intelligence Agency and was rewarded by an ambassadorship to uh, Algeria. Uh, I contacted other people. Uh, the head of the, uh, the CIA station, um, uh, Eric Walkenbush, dead silence. Nobody wants to talk to me. But I laid it all out in the book 
I name names. Uh, in fact, one journalist in Washington said it's a dangerous book because it names names. And I show who was involved, how it was done, and uh, where these people are now, in, in, as best I could find out. And the book is selling. Uh, the CIA hasn't been to my door like uh, Wayne Madsen. Uh, I do have problems with an awful lot of spam on my email and on my telephone. Uh, but so far, I'm not in jail, and uh, nobody's wrestled me to the ground and tasered me, so I figure I'm ahead of the game. <laughs> so I think my time is just about up. They're going to haul me off the stage with a hook, and uh, if I don't do it and, and shut up and go on and let Wayne talk, uh, they won't invite me back again. So I've enjoyed the privilege of speaking to you. You've been a great audience. You actually laughed at some of the things I said. So thank you kindly, and I hope to see you again. And let's go forward and make these people accountable for what they do. Thank you. You're listening to presentations by Lionel, J. Michael Springman, and Wayne Madsen from the Justice and Focus 9-11 Conference, hosted by Mark Crispin Miller. Today's show, 9-11 and the Transporter Jihad. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, it's good to be back uh, speaking at Cooper Union. I spoke uh, here on the fifth anniversary of 9-11 in 2006. It's also an honor to be speaking... Um, on the same stage where Abraham Lincoln spoke in 1860. So my speech will start with four score and seven years. Oh, no, wait a minute, that's his speech. I'll stick with my speech. The Islamic State. Where did this thing come from? You know, after 9-11, Bush and Cheney and the rest of that cabal told us, give us uh, some of your privacy, we're going to institute this uh, Patriot Act uh, so we'll never have to face another major terrorist attack in the United States. We all agreed, you know, reluctantly, many of us had to go along with it because our representatives voted for it. There was never any hearings on it. Now tell people in Orlando, San Bernardino, Fort Hood, uh, and other places, um, how did that work out for you? given up all those constitutional rights and, and to be promised increased security. It didn't happen. And what I'm going to suggest to you is the reason it didn't happen was because when Al-Qaeda's shelf life expired, they said we need to rebrand it. And how did they rebrand it? They rebranded it with this Islamic State. Now, you, you hear Obama, he talks about, he says ISIL, uh, Others in the administration say ISIS. John Kerry likes Daesh because he's, you know, he speaks French. Um, but ISIS is a, is a creation of various intelligence services, including our own. And the chickens have come home to roost. It started out with Al-Qaeda in Iraq. It was amazing, uh, the Democratic nominee for President of the United States just the other day stated over here on the Intrepid, uh, on the Hudson, she said, uh, there was, there was, there was Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda was in Iraq, not when Saddam Hussein was the President of Iraq, he was one of their worst enemies. Al-Qaeda 
began in Iraq when we invaded and occupied the country. And what we saw develop in Iraq was a guy named Abu Musad al-Zarqawi, a.k.a. Ahmed Fadil Nizal al-Khalaya, Jordanian national, we were told. Um, he was the head of al-Qaeda in Iraq, except many people said, including the uh, spokesperson for the U.S. Central Command, they said, this guy Zarqawi's a fake. We developed him. He's a fictional character. It didn't end there. So um, they said they killed Zarqawi. Um, and we saw a body, just like with bin Laden, of course. Then we had Abu Omar al-Baghdadi. And um, now, <laughs> this guy became the second leader of al-Qaeda in Iraq. He didn't last too long either especially after one of bin Laden's people said, he too is a creation. There is no such person as Omar al-Baghdadi. So then they had to get rid of al-Qaeda in Iraq. And they, so these, these, these um, guerrillas went over into Syria after this administration decided to destabilize the only remaining secular governments in the Middle East, in Libya, in Syria, in Yemen, and in Egypt. And what we had was a civil war in Syria. The remnants of Al-Qaeda in Iraq poured over into the Syrian, uh, over the Syrian border. And we had Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, another, this is Baghdadi number two. And uh, again, we, we had uh, revelations that this al-Baghdadi is a fake, uh, which John McCain would like because he's seen in a photograph with the purported head of the Islamic State when he snuck across from Turkey into Iraq. But these are, all, these are all fictional characters. So what is the Islamic State? Well, what the Islamic State is, it's, it's a creation. And who were the midwives for it? Well, General David Petraeus, the disgraced former commander of US forces in Iraq. Um, after, even after um, he was in Iraq, he was supposedly fighting Al-Qaeda, when it came to Syria and was at the CIA, he, he, he said, we should, have a, a, we should have an alliance with Al-Qaeda against ISIS. What in the world is this man talking about? ISIS came out of Al-Qaeda. He was supposed to be defeating Al-Qaeda in Iraq, and he says, no, we need to have an alliance with Al-Qaeda. Now, what kind of message does that send to all the people who lost loved ones in this country because we were told Al-Qaeda did it? So now... It's like 1984 with Orwell. Al-Qaeda is not our enemy. ISIS is our enemy. We've always been in an alliance with Al-Qaeda. You know, just that same Orwellian uh, 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 talk. Um, the other midwife, Hillary Clinton, as I mentioned, destabilizing secular pan-Arab socialist governments, even though many of them had transitioned away from socialism. Um, what, what replaced them? the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and uh, Al-Qaeda ran rampant through Libya and through Syria and through Yemen. Barack Obama, he decides the person he's going to go to to get advice on how the United States should proceed with its Middle East policies is um, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the Turkish president, who thinks he's the new sultan of the neo-Ottoman Empire. Uh, it was Erdogan who was giving 
the breathing space and logistical support to ISIS in Syria, even was marketing their oil, and his son benefited from that financially, on the international market. Um, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, well, I'll say no more about them. I think the 28 pages speak for themselves about what uh, the Saudi role has been, not only with Al-Qaeda, but now with the Islamic State. They have been supporting the, these jihadist radicals in Iraq, Syria, Libya, and Yemen. Israel, just recently, the Begin Sadat Center in Israel said, oh, we got to keep ISIS around. It's good for us to help defeat the Moscow-Tehran-Damascus axis. You know, I thought that axis of evil went away with the Bush administration, but apparently it's still alive and doing well in Israeli think tanks. Uh, they said, yeah, we, 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 we need uh, ISIS around. It served as a very good partner in getting rid of Gaddafi in Libya and, uh, and, and going after Assad in Syria and uh, launching the Sunni insurgency in Iraq, which targeted the Shia-dominated government of that country. And then there's good old Chancellor Merkel of Germany. She says to all these uh, refugees that are pouring out of um, Syria, some of which uh, were young men who had iPhones, debit cards. Now, where did they get this? These, these are not your, your normal run-of-the-mill refugees. She says, oh, come on in. Yeah, and they, yeah, they come in. And now it's not safe to walk the streets in many German towns and cities. The same situation in France. And uh, again, she deserves a lot of um, condemnation for helping Islamic State, some of whom went from Europe to Syria and then were allowed back into Europe. And ISIS's deep-pocketed benefactor, the guy who came up with this R2P nonsense, responsibility to protect. Actually, it was, it was the irresponsibility to overthrow secular governments. And, uh, you, you know, this guy's money goes far and wide, George Soros. Uh, and he, he said, the EU has to accept at least a million asylum seekers annually for the foreseeable future. Well, who elected this guy, dictator? But unfortunately, people like Merkel and Hollande in France listened to him. And really, unfortunately, uh, many people in our own government listened to him. This man should be not listened to. Uh, he has helped destabilize with his support for the Arab Spring and now the invasion uh, of Europe by uh, migrants, many of whom are jihadists. Uh, he's the guy that bears a, a lot of responsibility for this mess. Uh, and there's, of course, um, other enablers of what I would call the transborder jihad. Uh, Ukrainian president, a puppet I should say, Petro Poroshenko, now has ISIS brigades fighting alongside Ukrainian militia, including some neo-Nazi groups against Russian-speaking individuals in eastern Ukraine. Um, and the guy you probably haven't heard of is the UN Special Representative for the Secretary General for uh, International Migration, Peter Sutherland. This is the guy who's really pushing uh, to take in more migrants, not just from Syria, from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from North Africa, other countries that have been de destabilized where uh, this jihadism is running rampant. Jihadism, as I suggest already, was manufactured by groups nurtured by the United States and other intelligence services. Peter Sutherland uh, is the guy pushing for this along with Soros. Uh, he's former head of Goldman Sachs International to put him in 
proper perspective. Now, um, I, I think the idea to hold people accountable through tribunals is a good idea, and my attempt is to show where some of the subpoenas can be taken uh, and delivered to some of the perpetrators who continue to perpetrate violence against not only Americans, but innocent people in Europe, in Africa. We hear a lot about the attacks in, in Europe. We, we don't hear much about the attacks on hotels in Ouagadougou and Burkina Faso and Bamako and Mali and other uh, cities in West Africa. You know, um, and that, I, I blame the corporate media for that. They don't, they don't, if it happens in Africa, like, who cares? Uh, there's also been attacks in Thailand and Bangladesh and other developing countries around the world. So this is a worldwide effort. Uh, I applaud uh, what uh, the judge said earlier. Uh, this is an outgrowth of the strategy of tensions, and it's not just the United States that suffers. It's countries around the world. Um, and um, I, I just want to leave you with that. Um, I, I have a new book coming out at the end of the month. It's called The Almost Classified Guide to CIA Front Companies, Proprietaries, and Contractors. But that even shocked me when I started to look at how many of these were in existence since the CIA's inception in 1947. I think we can start by cleaning up our act. We've got to get rid of that agency. The CIA has long since outlived its purpose and usefulness. As, as President Kennedy said, that agency needs to be torn up into a thousand pieces and thrown into the wind. And... Uh, I disagree with the late Senator Moynihan from New York. He said, oh, well, let's just downsize it and put it into the State Department as an intelligence collecting agency. My answer to that idea is uh, don't mend it, end it. Thank you. You are listening to presentations by Lionel. J. Michael Springman and Wayne Madsen from the Justice in Focus 9-11 conference hosted by Mark Crispin Miller. Today's show, 9-11 and the Transporter Jihad. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. All righty. Um, so I, I will ask um, a question, two questions. It's kind of the same question. And, you know, maybe the answer is self-evident, but I guess it's, it's useful for me to pose this question because it will foreground some of the implications of what you've all said. Uh, concerning the creation of the Mujahideen et alia, okay? Uh, is it the case that... Okay, you may recall Zbigniew Brzezinski gave a famous interview to Nouvelle Observateur where he boasted of the fact that the United States government, uh, you know, basically bled the Soviet Union to death by creating the Mujahideen and sending them to the border with Afghanistan, the Russian border, deliberately to draw Russia into Afghanistan so that actually the invasion of Afghanistan was a defensive response to, you know, covert U.S. aggression, right? Russia's Vietnam. He boasted of this. And what, what little coverage this received was cast in the following way, that this was a reckless um, move by the U.S. without any uh, consideration of the possible blowback from this eventually, right? So uh, on the basis of that paradigm, I, I ask, you know, is it the case 
of our chickens coming home to roost, that terrible things have happened as a result of this short-sighted policy, or with the judge's uh, talk in mind and Operation Gladio in mind, is it the case that these horrific consequences were actually in intentional? Okay, that's the first version of the question. And now, um, were the 19 hijackers put up to it by Saudi Arabia so that the, you know, um, the kind of virulent coverage by the tabloid press is perfectly justified, royal scum and so on, um, or were they patsies who, um, you know, were, were sort of handled and uh, organized and placed sort of the way Lee Harvey Oswald was in 1963, okay? Do you, you see that they're kind of the same question, but it's, it's, it's the difference between a kind of incompetence or something much worse. So I guess, uh, you know, Michael and Wayne, if you'd like to answer the first one, either one of you. Yeah, okay, that works. Um, I would be inclined to say it's a little bit of both. Uh, Brzezinski made the point uh, in the talking to the French paper that, well, what's more important, the end of the Soviet Union or some stirred-up Muslims? Right. Um, but uh, Joe Trento, in his book, um, uh, America and the Islamic Bomb, uh, talked about the plans to do this, that they were going to Soviet in the Soviet Union's backyard, they were going to, uh, the Americans were going to manufacture it uh, and give it to the, uh, the Mujahideen who were going to sow it, and it would be the, the, uh, the Soviets who would have to deal with it. And uh, I think that's, the, that's part of it. And I, I think uh, they couldn't really see all the consequences from this. But I think from my research on the book here, Visas for Al-Qaeda, uh, I came to the conclusion that somewhere along the way in the middle of the Afghan war against the Soviets, that the Americans themselves said, hey, we've got a guys who are well-trained in, in shooting things down and blowing things up. Uh, they can do anything they want. Why don't we use them for something? And they don't necessarily, it's not as organized as the Marine Corps, for example. Uh, it's not as well-directed as the Marine Corps. Uh, but at the same time, you've got this group that are willing to go anywhere, anytime, the United States needs to have a government overthrown or a country destabilized. And you, you see it happening in Venezuela. Maybe the Arab Afghans aren't there, uh, but there are some characters there that uh, want to get the, uh, the end of the Chavez and Maduro revolution uh, uh, into the grave. Uh, in Kiev, in, in, in the Ukraine, you had the same thing. You had a, another one of Wayne Madsen's color-coded revolutions. So I, I think a lot of this is planned, and they don't necessarily care about the consequences. Okay. Wayne, you want to address this? Well, one of the things, I, I spent a lot of time at the National Archives, uh, not, the one, not the one in town where the Declaration of Independence is, but the something called the Steny Hoyer Reading Room, which should be actually the restroom up there should be named the Steny Hoyer <laughs> Reading Room. But, uh, yeah, this new thing about people who are still alive naming things after themselves. I mean, where did that start? Uh, but uh, I've, I've run across CIA documents now declassified. Uh, there's a 25-year, uh, you know, uh, we're now right into the, like, uh, the period stuff is being declassified uh, towards the end of our uh, Soviet involvement in Afghanistan, 1989-1990. It's quite interesting that 
there were certain people in the CIA who said, let's not stop with uh, the Mujahideen in, in Afghanistan. We'll get rid of that government, which, by the way, under the government in Afghanistan, which was a socialist government, uh, women were treated as equals to men. You know, oh, that's, my God, we can't have that, right, in Afghanistan. But there were active measures by the CIA to bring the war not only to the border, but across the border and stirring up the Muslims in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan and, uh, and, and also in the Caucasus region uh, with uh, Chechnya. And so when the Soviet Union fell, where did the initial problems start in post-Soviet uh, uh, Russia, places like Chechnya? And you look at uh, uh, some of the key people in the CIA that was advancing this, you find people like Graham Fuller, uh, for example. Graham Fuller was Bill Casey's number one advisor on uh, Muslim countries and uh, that part of the world, from Afghanistan all the way over to the Black Sea. And of course, why is that interesting? Because when we had the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, Tamerlan and Jokar um, Sarniev, uh, their, their, uh, their uncle was Uncle uh, Sarni, but it was Sarniev. And he had been married to Graham Fuller's daughter. Right. <laughs> I mean, this, this is like, uh, you, know, Hink, you know, Hinkley's a good friend of the Bush family. What, 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 how... How, how, how much does it take to convince somebody that this is, these, are, these, are, these are links that need to be explored you know, more fully? And, uh, and, and certainly that wasn't pursued. But the roots to this go back to that Fuller, Casey, um, uh, uh, Gates, Bob Gates at the CIA, because they wanted to say, uh, we can use the Muslims, not only in Afghanistan, but inside the, the Soviet Union to bring down uh, the Soviet government, and they absolutely started to provide a training to them, and now we see Uzbek legions in Syria and Iraq, we see Chechen legions, so yeah, you talk chickens coming home to roost, uh, you know, and, but we get the thing, yeah, well, Putin is a terrible dictator, we, well, it's the same idea like uh, we used against the Afghan government uh, at the time, the secular socialist government. Uh, you know, these people, and Brzezinski, look, the one thing about Brzezinski we have to remember is he, he's a Polish Catholic nationalist who hates Russians. And, and when you understand that, you understand where Brzezinski's coming from. Right. And uh, to give, and NBC giving his daughter, you know, a, a, a goofy variety show in the morning with that intern killer, Joe Scarborough, <laughs> uh, it defies logic. Well, I mean, this being um, a symposium on 9-11, right? I mean, which, a horror that took place right here in town. It's probably fair to ask, if it isn't just way over there, that this kind of thing may be intentionally done. You mentioned the Boston Marathon bombing. I mean, there are questions about, reasonable questions, not, not, not wild-eyed conspiracy theory paranoid imaginings, but reasonable questions about San Bernardino, about Orlando, about Nice, where the French government is actually trying to suppress the video evidence of that truck attack, which we're told slaughtered all these people. Uh, but, you know, even officials in that government are raising questions about this attempted suppression. Um, just by observing especially since, you know, given what we've been hearing uh, since this morning, it is, to me, 
all that much more staggering how much of what most of us have believed is simply based on the mere say-so of the government filtered through uh, the New York Times and others. Uh, it is amazing because we pride ourselves on not having a state-controlled press and yet um, all the empirical evidence seems to suggest that we do have something a lot like one. Listening to Mark Crispin Miller, Lionel, J. Michael Springman, and Wayne Madsen from the Justice in Focus 9 11 conference in New York City, September 10th and 11th. Today's show has been 9 11 and the Transporter Jihad. For more information about the conference and its speakers, visit 911justiceinfocus.com. That's 911justiceinfocus.com. Visit markcrispinmiller.com. Visit lionelmedia.com. Visit michaelspringman.com. Visit waynemansonreport.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaromako, and Tony Rango. Visit us at gunsandbutter.org to listen to past programs, comment on shows, or join our email list to receive our newsletter that includes recent shows and updates. Email us at Faulkner at gunsandbutter.org. Follow us on Twitter at G and B Radio. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look with inside yourself for peace. Give thanks. Live life. Release. You dig me? 